a special Firestone Walker Brewing Showcase episode of... Brutal Battle. Yes, so uh, we always do these showcases. We usually do two within the span of about ten episodes or so. Well, with all the extra episodes, it's around 15, 16, something like that. But at any rate, this is one that I've been excited to get to whenever we got to it. Uh, we've tried to do like kind of regional things, like moving around the U.S., and I think... I don't think we've done any, like, overseas stuff yet, Mm -mm. but um, that's something that I would like to do at some point. But for now, it's Firestone Walker. I've always respected this brewery, Um, but some people may be saying right now, but Carlin, you have a problem with breweries that aren't independently owned. Correct. Firestone Walker is no longer independently owned, but they are owned by uh, a company who I believe has been respectful towards the craft beer community and hasn't intentionally tried to um, destroy it like Anheuser-Busch InBev has. But that's a whole nother thing, just explaining that up front. This is all about Firestone Walker. Uh, There's not a huge amount of information on them, even though they're very highly respected and very well known. Those things don't go hand in hand. They have a kind of a short story as to who they are, but talk about a little bit of stuff, but let's do a beer first. So Rebecca has something to drink while I blather about things. So the first beer we're going to do is actually a beer that's, I believe, won a few um, GABF medals, gold medals at that, for uh, I think the category is American Pilsner. And this is their Pivo Hoppy Pills, and it is ABV 5.3%. And honestly, I've had this few times in my life, and I feel like every time I have it, I'm just like, that is nice and refreshing. Give it a little pour there. All right, let's take a look at the Pivo Pills, this award-winning Pivo Pills, because it is super clear. Yeah, super clear. Looks like pee. Yeah, it's... um. Slight orangish tinge, but pretty much mainly yellow. But yeah, what does it smell like? It's like very pilsnery. I know. I love that pilsner, like the bready, weedy. <sighs> yeah, there's like a really fine, like low lemony smell on the very end. That's exactly what I was gonna say. But yeah, there's a lot of like grain type smell to it, like you're saying, like a little type note to it honey in there too mm-hmm. it smells like very crisp very fresh god it smells just so easy and nice let's try it mm. easy it's so good got a little bit of a bitter bite at the end and it's actually nice uh because it's like a light refreshing hit up front with that honey the hay a little bit of lemon, and then you get, like, this nice bitterness kind of biting real quick on the end. But it's not mm. too much, because I don't like that bitter, no. but it is, it's noticeable. Yeah, so when you talk about a hoppy pills, there have been hoppy pills that I've had that, like, the bitterness is too much, like, they're hopping it too much for a pilsner, because pilsners, you know, you want them to be kind of light, you want them to be pretty clean, delicate in their flavors, and when you put too much bitterness in there... It has a tendency to really destroy all those nice Pilsner flavors. Or you want more already. My glass is empty already. There you go. You can have some more. Well, I talk a little bit, but I'm not going to be talking a whole lot. Because like I said, there's not 
Not a crap ton. Jeez. But okay, well. Anyway, Firestone Walker was initially formed in 1996 in Santa Barbara County, hmm. uh, which is obviously in California. I always um, assumed it would be older than that. Yeah, older Maybe. than 1996. Did, were you surprised when you found that out? No. 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 I haven't felt like they're extremely old. Like, but you have to think, like, that's 21 years, though. Yeah. 1996 is 21 years. I think you don't think it's as old because you lived through the 90s. I feel like time just stopped when I graduated college. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically. So, but uh, Firestone Walker, 1996, Santa Barbara County. It was started by brother-in-laws. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, a man by the name of David Walker and a man by the name of Adam Firestone. Now, if, oh. if Firestone sounds familiar, yes, Adam Firestone is related to Brooks Firestone. The tires. Yes. The tire and rubber company. So, Firestone Tires, yes, related to Firestone Walker Brewing in a how, way. Like, how are they related? Uh, Brooks Firestone is, is Adam, is Adam's father. Okay. So he can probably come, came from some money. Yeah. He came from money because they also had a vineyard. There was a Firestone vineyard, but I believe that's been sold since. Yeah. That's been sold since. So, um, but there was a Firestone vineyard for a while. How many, like, last names could you put together and have it sound good? I don't know, but it is a good point that Firestone Walker just sounds nice. Like, it sounds prestigious. It sounds... It does. Like, it has authority. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, it sounds classy at the same time. It sounds a lot of things. Anyway, go ahead. It's good. So, if people notice on pretty much all of their packaging, they have a bear and a lion that look like they're going at it, like, fighting. Yeah. That's their their main logo. So, people kind of wonder, like, what's the deal behind that? So, they're each representative of the people who created the brewery, Adam and and David. So, David Walker is the lion, and Adam Firestone is the bear. And the representation has to do with the fact that they fight a decent amount about things, but (laughs) that doesn't keep them from collaborating and making this brewery work and making good beer. So... But how did they pick the lion and the bear? Probably because they're both very masculine and it's like a very ferocious fight between those two animals. Because if you, you could imagine that a fight between a bear and a lion would be pretty crazy. I need some water. Um, that answer isn't, yeah, I mean, not it's, satisfy me. Well, I mean, I, I like the fact, when I looked it up, I like the fact that they actually represent the owners, the bear and the lion. Because otherwise you're just like, oh, here's our logo. It's just a, a bear and a lion for, for no reason. You know, there are breweries all over the place oh, that yeah. just create labels or have their main logo just because, oh, it just looks cool and there's nothing behind it. At least with this, there's, like, something actually behind it. Like, yeah. apparently they fight pretty ferociously, but they still get along and they, you know, maintain this company together. But the lion and the bear would never really get along, would they? Um... I don't know. I would think not because they're both pretty territorial animals. Maybe I'm reading too much into this. You may be analyzing this a little <laughs> too much. Just a, just a little bit. Just a skosh. Yeah, just a skosh. So the this particular brewery, when it started, it was they did it on Firestone uh, Vineyard, Family Vineyard. 
So when they did still ha- own the um, the vineyard and, and the winemaking equipment, this is where all the brewing was initially done for Firestone Walker. And that was in Los Olivos, uh, California. But then eventually ended up moving in 2001 to Paso Robles when they were actually getting into brewing equipment. Because when they were doing it at the Firestone family vineyard, they were using converted winemaking equipment to brew the beer. Hmm. So then they were like, oh, let's get like super legitimate, what, five years after they started it, and then moved to Paso Robles, where they actually ended up purchasing an old brewery called Slow Brewing, which was S-L-O. Um, and not that much longer, four years after that, because they were doing pretty well, they actually ended up acquiring Humboldt Brewing, which they then renamed to Nectar Ales, which people may remember Nectar Ales. I don't even know if they're still around or not, because I know then some years later, Firestone Walker then sold Nectar Ales. Mm. So they only were really holding them for a little bit. Now, do they still have the vineyard? No, the vineyard's gone. That was sold as well. So the only thing that really remains out of a lot of this stuff is obviously the Firestone tires and rubber and Firestone Walker beer. And obviously, Firestone Walker beer is doing quite well. So, okay. Um, let's do another beer, and then I'll talk a little the rest of their history. Now, maybe not they, the rest, but um, there's not a ton, like I said. When, you, when now, when they sold, they sold everything, or do they still have like steak and yeah. something? I'm, you know, I'm not 100 percent sure on that. Mm-hmm. It just with the article I read just said they sold. So, mm-hmm. um, so the next beer, um. Their wild ales I've really been wanting to try. I've never had any of them, and this is one of them, so I've been really excited to eventually try one. So this is super exciting for me. This is their Bread of Ice, which is a Berliner-style wheat beer, and it's done with Bertanomyces and Lactobacillus. So there should be sourness to it, there should be funkiness to it, and a weedy backbone, and it's 4.7% alcohol by volume. This is part of their Barrel Works Wild Ales line. Uh, that's what they call it, Barrel Works Wild Ales. So, and they have a decent amount, which I'll talk about later. Um, but cork and caged, you know how Rebecca gets nervous about that. Oh. It gets me every time. <laughs> uh, and it didn't. It didn't bubble over. So I know you're very unhappy. Ah, oh, Jesus! But I did just pour beer on Rebecca's hand. <laughs> well, this is. Here's the reason why. Apologies, Rebecca. And a little bit on the couch. So. And the floor. Here's the reason why that happens. And this is actually kind of good that it happened because it's a pet peeve of mine. This is a bottle that has a rolled lip to it. If people have ever seen with a lot of these cork and caged bottles, which I'm assuming the reason that they do this is because it makes the top thicker where it needs to hold a lot of the pressure uh, of the cork so being in there. Right, so... Um, cause if it was thinner, it'd have a higher probability of breaking, but I just don't like these rolled, you know, like large rolled tops because it makes it harder to pour because it has a, a way, like a path for the beer to follow and just like go over the edge and just like is go this, back on the bottom a little excuse? bit. No, I, that's always been the case for me. So yeah. anyway, let's talk about this bread of ice. So it looks a little bit darker than the, um, Pivo Pills. It's pretty clear. But it's still really clear, yeah. I was expecting it. I mean, there's a little bit of a haziness to it, but I was expecting a lot more of a haze for being like a wild ale. But, oh well. Ooh. 
I'm getting some like flower notes. I agree with that. There is a little bit of a flower. There's a little bit of a skunkiness on the nose. It's very, very slight. And it's at the end. I mean, you definitely can get that funkiness, the tartness. But yeah. there's something floral. There's a decent tartness on there, too. I wasn't expecting as much tartness as I'm getting in the nose at the moment. And kind of exciting to me. Because I, I kind of figured being named Bread of Ice that it'd have more of the funky character and less of the of the sour character. But I feel like there's more sour and less funk, at least in the nose. All right. What's your... Definitely more sour than funk. Ooh, wow. This is really nice. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot more sourness there than I was expecting. Um, It's soft. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's definitely sour. It does have some funkiness, some tartness, but yeah. it, it um just kind of dances off your tongue and mellows out and just, like, it's real soft. Yeah, it kind of hits you aggressively immediately with that kind of lemony sour right up front. And then just like, yeah, like softly comes yeah. down into like a, just like a, a nice. Like candy, sour warhead candy finish. Yeah. Like just like kind of like. A little sweet. A little sweet. Um, fades away. A lot of wheat on the finish yeah. as well. And a little bit of kind of like hay quality to it. Slight bit of honey. Mm. I like this a lot more than I thought it was going to. That's good. I like that a lot actually. Oh, man, this makes me want more of their Wild Ales even more. Now I'm even more excited to try more of their stuff. Which, by the way, it is not. it had not shown up into our market until, like, this year, in 2017. So I know they've been making Wild Ales prior to that, but it didn't show up until 2017 for Maryland, which I guess isn't that big of a surprise because coast to coast, basically. And they don't have any breweries on this side. All right, so while you sip on that bread of ice, a little more information about Firestone Walker. In 2006, uh, they did their pale ale, and it was named Best Beer in America by Men's Journal. So 2006 is where they started gaining a lot, a lot of variety, of, I'm sorry, not variety, notoriety. Men's Journal. Yeah. I mean, is that, like, a big deal? It was more of a big deal back then than it is now. Because of the technology change. People used to read magazines a lot more back then. People don't so much read magazines nowadays. So, But that was a significant thing for them as far as exposure goes. Making their pale ale a big deal. Uh, then in 2012 is when they eventually opened their wild ale facility. And that's in Buellton, California. So it is separate from their main brewery. Which... There are plenty of breweries who like to do that because they don't want to risk having cross-contamination or anything with the bacteria getting into their regular beers. So that makes sense. But it just makes me more like they've been doing Wild Ales for five years now. And it just made it to us. Makes me kind of sad because I could have been trying their stuff prior to that. Um, So yeah, so they had opened that Wild Ale facility. Then in 2015... They were purchased by Duval Mortgott Brewery, um, and they were, they're the ones who do Duvel or Duval, mm-hmm. however people like to say it, out of Belgium. Um, and it was reported that they sold for $250 million. Jesus. 
So that is a lot, a lot, lot, lot of money. I didn't know that Duvel had money like that. Uh, I know that I believe they purchased they purchased Omegong Brewery in Cooperstown, New York. I think before Firestone Walker, and then I can't remember if they purchased um, Boulevard Brewing in St. Louis, Missouri, after Firestone Walker or before Firestone Walker. But those are the three. American craft breweries that um, Duvel owns now. So, um, so yeah, so that was in 2015. But in, their, in that same year, 2015, is when they started going to canning. Mm-hmm. So they've been only bottles until 2015, which is a little late to the party on canning. Um, but th- I think that's kind of where a lot of older breweries or older-ish breweries started getting more on the can thing, because they're like, oh, okay, I guess this isn't really a fad anymore. This is, like, a smart decision, and people are totally okay with having their beer in cans. So, uh, and I had a stat on their canning line. They can can 400 cans of beer per minute. Well, I mean fill. Like, fill the cans, not necessarily, like, put the top on them in that amount of time. But Can we just go back to the $250 million? I would like to have some of the two hundred fifty million dollars. I can't even like fathom that amount of money. A lot of dough. Anyway, uh, and then just a little bit extra, and then we'll actually get into the you know what their lines of beers are at this point. So, at this point, they're actually known probably most within the craft beer nerd community for their blending. They're very very good uh-huh. at blending beers and. Obviously, what's most popular for them, if people know about them, is their anniversary, anniversary. ale yeah. that they come out with every year, and they just name it whatever number it is. So I think they're on like 20 this year. They were on like 19 or 20 this year. Uh, we didn't get one of those. We did try like 17, 16 or 17, I think we had tried, and we had it on the show, and it was crazy amazing tasty. Mm-hmm. Like, just, ugh. But I'll talk a little bit more about about the Anniversary Ale and their blending when we talk about, like, all their beers in a minute. Um, But, um, oh, one of the other things to kind of note about their blending is that they they literally make up a bunch of trial blends and taste them side by side by side Mm. to be like, okay, what combination... is the, the best, best one. Like, what's going to be uh, the anniversary combo for this year? That would be fun. Yeah, and I know that they've actually had, at least one year I saw, they did a contest to uh, give the winner the ability to be involved in that tasting to help decide the anniversary blend, which is really awesome. So, And the guy who does all of this, um, really well known for doing his br- uh, blending, is Matt Brindelson. He's their brewmaster at... Firestone Walker, very well known, very well respected within craft beer, and the guy does magic with complementing flavors, in my opinion, especially with the anniversary beer. My my glass is empty. I know. So the next beer we're going to do is a line, a specific line of beers that they've been doing, it's kind of experimental, that I've tried. This is the third installment of it, and I've tried the other two, so I'm glad we're going to be doing this one as well. And that is known as their Leo versus Ursus um, line, which are all, I believe they're all Imperial IPAs. Is that the name of the lion and bear? Yeah. 
Leo and Ursus because that's the the Leo is the lion constellation version of uh, the lion, and Ursus is the constellation version of the bear. Uh, so that's it's like Latin. So so the the first one that they had in this line was called Fordum, and I wanted to look up like the meaning because these are these are Latin terms actually. Yeah. So the first one was Fordum, which was like a masculine version for strong, courageous, brave, and steadfast. Like, that's what Fordham was. So that was our first one. Their second one was Adversus, which Adversus was set opposite, adverse, having been set against. So it's basically kind of showing the fight between Leo and Ursus, uh, is what that name's all about. And then the one I have in my hand right now that we're going to try is their Inferos, which actually the Inferos is a masculine plural of Inferus, which means the souls of the dead. A lot of like masculine, masculine, masculine. Yeah, but well, because there's a fight going on. And actually, if you think about it, there's kind of a story being told a little bit with the three beers that have been done thus far. So initially, it's about being, you know, strong and courageous and kind of puffing your chest out with boredom. And then the next install installment was Adversus, kind of the conflict between the two. And now this in Pharos is about the souls of the dead, meaning the conflict is already over and someone's dead, kind of. I don't know if that was intended or not, but I just saw that connection. So so the Inferos is a uh, Imperial Rye IPA, and it's 8.2% alcohol by volume. I will also say that the Fordham and the Adversus, I enjoyed both of them quite a bit. I remember really liking them. Picture the lion and the bear walking around with like their dicks out, like who's better? <laughs> you think that's what Adam and David do, like at the brewery? <laughs> like they just right. walk with their penises hanging out, and they're just like, "Bod's bigger, Bod's yeah. bigger." <laughs> Tell us masculinity. Okay, this is pretty orange-looking beer. Mm, a little red, orangish red. Yeah, a little brownish, orangish, reddish. Mm. Pretty clear. It's so piney and like I get a lot of citrus on there. Oh, I get so much pine and like syrupy and like sap. It does smell like it's gonna be kind of thick. It does yes. smell kind of syrupy, but I I get a, a good mixture of citrus and pine. I mean I get like candied um like a candied pineapple. Yeah. Candied dry pineapple. That's actually a really good one. Yeah, that's citrus with and there is a significant amount of sweetness on the nose mm-hmm. as well, which is important to note. It smells really good. Like a little spice to it with like that pine and the rye and like some nice citrus notes to it with that kind of caramelized pineapple sweetness in there. What does okay. it taste? I like it more than I thought. Because that nose mm. isn't typically my wheelhouse. But mm-hmm. I think it the rye characteristics kind of balances out the syrupy notes that yeah. I don't really like. I agree. Because it's kind of like a medium-low mouthfeel to it, so it's like a slight bit syrupy. And it's got a, it's. I feel like the citrus is maybe just a little bit lower in strength to the pininess, but that, um, that rye is like a nice kind of earthy spice character that adds in there and blends really well with, no, with these. Oh, more I'm sorry. beer, please. More beer, yeah. I'm sorry. 
Yeah. I like to take a couple sips to like have it coat my palate and then go back in. And this is kind of what I was talking about with like Matt Brindelson and like the blending aspect. It's not just blending of, you know, a bunch of different high ABV beers to get a really good tasting anniversary beer. It's also about the blending of different hop profiles to get a nice harmonious easy beer and i feel like that's what happens with a lot of their hoppy beers well it's very drinkable like you know you Mm -hmm. have the potential for it to be a beer like this to be kind of off-putting or maybe not something Mm -hmm. that would appeal to the masses but um this i feel like is is something a lot of people could enjoy yeah i like this beer a lot actually it's um you know i'm not huge on pine with my hoppy beers but when it's balanced the way it is like the citrus like the fact that you're getting some of the citrus that kind of you know plays on the other side of this um this piney note and then you have the rye in there kind of like overarching on both of them and just kind of bring them a little bit closer together it's really good mm. yeah i like it i like it a lot so now i'll just talk about what beers they have available so their current, like, regular beers uh, are 805 Blondale, which that, I don't even think we... I've never even heard of that. So, I, I remember seeing it, I think, some time ago in Maryland, but I don't think it's distributed here anymore, because I haven't seen it in a long time. Uh, but apparently, that's their most popular beer in California at the mm. moment. So, interesting. Uh, then they have their, their Double Barrel Ale, which is a British Pale Ale. That one was a super popular beer back in the day. Then they have their Pale 31, which is another pale ale, American-style pale ale. Then they have their Union Jack IPA, which is a straight-up IPA. They have their Easy Jack Session IPA. They have their, obviously, Pivo Hoppy Pills, which we had. Uh, Then they have their Mocha Merlin, which they used to just have their regular Merlin, which is an oatmeal stout, but they've replaced that now with the Mocha version, which is the oatmeal stout with, um, well, chocolate oatmeal stout with coffee added. So the other thing that they have that's that's rotating is their Luponic Distortion program, and that is just basically different versions of hoppy blends that they decided to do. And when I say blends, I just mean like blends of hops into an IPA. Uh, and they're on number seven at the moment. So... The interesting thing about Luponic Distortions is the fact that they do not disclose what hops they use hmm. for their... They, they disclose the ingredients they use for all their other beers, and that's available on their website. And if people have interest, you should definitely check out their website because it's very well designed and there's a lot of cool information on there. But they give you the ingredients for everything, but for their Luponic Distortion, they don't do that. But they do give you a flavor polygon. What? Yes, I'm going to show Rebecca this so she can get a good look at it. But a it's flavor polygon. Yes, yeah, so it's a drawing of like a pentagram, uh, like a pentagon. I was going to say pentagram. No, that's satanic. <laughs> a pentagon, and it has different flavors at each of the five points, and then it shows you with a with a line where the profile is, and it does a comparison of the current one versus the last iteration. So right now what's available on the website is number seven versus number six and the flavor profiles in, you know, visual form. And that's how they, they tell you about the flavors, but they don't tell you what the hops are. So number seven has 
grapefruit, grassy, melon, green banana, and lemon. A lot of green banana. Huh. This is kind of fun. Yeah, I thought it was cool. I've never seen a brewery put that out there, and I think it's kind of cool. Um, so people should definitely check that out. Now, as far as the Luponic Distortion line of beers, I guess I'd call it, goes, I've had a few. I haven't had as many as I kind of wanted to, because they release those faster, I think, than this Leo versus Ursus. And we have so much beer at the house that, you know, I'm not buying like crazy. So I think I've only had like two or three of their entries in Luponic Distortion, but I remember liking them. So Interesting. And I like it when breweries do like a line like that because there's just like different. Well, well they're think, playing around. Well, you know? I think it's fun to kind of keep something a mystery too. Yeah, I agree with that. That is very cool. I like that it's not all like I'm not going to tell you, but for a certain line, it's it's nice to have that. Yeah, definitely. So um, let's uh, talk about the Leo versus Ursus. I already talked about you know the Fortimid versus an Inferos. Uh, then they have their, I'll talk about, oh yeah, okay, so their Proprietor's Vintage Series. Now, these are barrel-aged beers that they do and and um, release, their, I think, yearly. Uh, they have their Bravo Imperial Brown Ale that's barrel-aged, their Parabola Imperial Stout. Mm. Everyone knows about Parabola. It's a hot commodity. They have their Sticky Monkey Quad. Uh, they have their Dorado Blonde Barley Wine. And then they have their Velvet Merkin Oatmeal Stout. And then, obviously, the Anniversary um, Blend that comes out every year. And I wanted to say just a tad bit more about the Anniversary Blend. If nobody's had it or if no one's looked into it, it is insane because the amount of beers that they blend in and the percentages that they use are so specific and crazy that I don't know how they get there. Um, and I have the website up. They actually are on 21 at this point. Wow. So I was kind of off. I said 19 or 20. They're on number 21. And I just wanted to read people what is in 21 and what um, the percentages are of each of those beers. So for their number 21, there's 42% Velvet Merkin aged in bourbon barrels, which is their oatmeal style. There's 18% of their Parabola, which is the their Imperial Stout Asian bourbon barrels. There's 17% of their Sticky Monkey, which is the Quad Asian bourbon barrels. 14% of their Bravo, which is the Imperial Brown Ale Asian bourbon barrels. And 9% of their Dorado, which is their Blonde Barley Wine aged in rum barrels. Hmm. So... One, two, three, four, five different beers blended into this. And the proportions of 42%, 18%, 17%, 14%, and 9%. Doesn't that just seem nuts to you? Yeah. Like, I don't... If if I tried to do it, it would be a disaster, most likely. Although we are doing blending episodes now, so maybe we will, when we go far enough, we'll get deeper. And instead of blending two beers, we'll blend like three. And then we'll blend four, and we'll try and figure it out. No, that'd be too much. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. Okay, we ready for the last one? Nope. Oh, my gosh. We'll do the last one in a second. I just wanted to talk about what wild ales they have. Okay. So their Barrel Works Wild Ales, this is what they have available. Their Agrestic Wild Red Ale. 
their Breda Rosé Wild Ale fermented with raspberries. Mm, I want that one. Yeah, I know. It sounds great. The Breda Weiss, obviously their, their Berliner style that we had. Uh, Feral One, which is just a straight up wild ale. Creaky Bones. Creaky Bones. Which is a wild uh, ale with sour cherries added. Mm. Sloambic, which is a wild ale with blackberries. Sour Opal, which is a wild ale that's kind of done like a goose style, where it's kind of like blended with like one-year-old, two-year-old, and three-year-old versions of it. Peachy Bones, which is a wild saison with white peaches. Zin Skin Wild, which is a wild ale with Zin, uh, Zinfandel grapes. Uh, Reginald Brett, which is a strong wild ale. So I'm guessing, I mean, obviously it's high in, higher in ABV than the rest of our wild ales. El Gordo, which is a wild ale with roasted pumpkin added. Hmm, sounds interesting. Feral Peach, which is a wild ale with wild peaches. They go out and actually forge wild peaches. And then their Champ de Fresse. Which is a wild ale with strawberries. Mm. So, all of this stuff sounds really does sound, good. Especially after having this one, I'm way more interested yeah. in having more. So, I think the only other one that I've seen that we've been able to get in Maryland at some point was their Breda Rosé. Which I think was the one with the raspberries. Mm-hmm. So, if we can track that down, that would be nice. Um, Alright, well let's go to our last beer. And this is where we're going to end it. So what I have for us is one of the beers from their barrel aging program. Uh, it's a Velvet Merkin, which is their oatmeal stout that's bourbon barrel aged. But it's not just anyone. This is a three-year-old version. This is 2014 vintage. And if people don't know, they put these in boxes to make them look even more that's fancy. Yeah. So no, where did we get this? Uh, Did I get this at Wine World three years ago? I don't, I don't know. Literally, I've sat on this for three years in our cellar. So, there goes the box. And Jeez. one of the things I need to say is they, they ended up um, discontinuing some of their beers, too. Uh, like, one of the ones that I really miss is their Wookie Jack, which was yeah. a rye porter, like a rye imperial porter. They put out, that was really tasty, and I think that had won some awards at some point. But they decided to do away with it. I'm guessing it did, it wasn't that it was probably declining in sales. Uh, and they also got rid of their Double Jack, which is just their straight Imperial IPA. But that's been well well replaced by this Leo versus Ursus uh, line. So, all right, let me pop this uh, three year old Velvet Merkin. Hopefully, this is good. Yeah, it's a pisser to sit on a beer that long and have it be a stinker. Yeah, I agree with that. So I've had Velvet Merkin before. God, look at the head on that. And that's kind of the way I poured it that did that. So I've had Velvet Merkin before, fresh. And one of the things that I did not like about it at that time was the fact that it's not an imperial stout. It's just a straight up stout that's bourbon barrel aged. So the body is low. (sighs) So you get a decent amount of bourbon to it, but... Like That's someone, a letdown. That's a letdown. I know. Someone like me, I just like a more significant body yeah. when you're barrel aging because I don't like the the um, the I feel like ABV have, to feel out of kilter. Yeah. I feel like when you have those big flavors, you need a big body to back it up. Right. Because it, it, it makes them feel more even and it kind of like takes your perception of the actual alcohol down. And that's what I like about Imperial 
bourbon barrel aged stuff as opposed to straight up because I just feel like it's more aggressive with that spirit or more aggressive with the ABV if it's just like a regular style. Yeah. But this is I a regular like style. I like big body and I cannot lie. All right. Right? I like that. Okay. Looks like a stout. It's dark. It looks like it looks like a stout. Okay. <laughs> You're doing the Sammy C. Stevens mini mall thing. Yeah. Oh my God. Check that out. If, if, <laughs> if no one's ever seen that. Sammy Stevens mini mall. It's just like a mini mall. It's just like it's just like a mini mall. What do you smell? Oh, I smell a lot of bourbon. I said, yeah. Oh yeah. It's like all bourbon. It smells mellow though. Um, like I don't that... feel I don't feel like I get. A burn from alcohol. Okay, okay. I'll give you that. Which reminds me, I didn't say what the ABV is. 8.5. So it's, oh, wow. it's not even that high. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's, that's, I like that. Yeah, that's a good thing because a lot of barrel-aged stuff has a tendency to just be like, 10, 12%, just keep going. It's not enjoyable. Yeah, so to get a barrel-aged character but have the ABV in, you know, reasonable range is, is nice. I'm getting a lot of like um, chocolate. Mm-hmm. I get a lot of sweet caramel uh, from the bourbon and a little vanilla. Okay, I'm from the bourbon as well. Sweet. I don't. I get sweetness. I'm not sure if I. I don't know if I would say caramel necessarily. Yeah, actually, now that I smell it again, I wouldn't say so much caramel as brown sugar. It's coming more. It's coming off more as brown sugar to me. I was going to say, like, lactose, like, the sweetness, like, it makes me feel like it's going to be creamy. I don't feel that way, but I, I can get what you're saying. I get a little bit of a raisiny smell on there as well, on the very end of it. Let's see how mm. it is. I don't perceive a ton of alcohol, so it could be, I don't know. Pretty smooth. It's almost too smooth. Yeah, it seems super easy. Um, getting a lot of chocolate, not yeah. as much bourbon on the, on the taste. Yeah, I get a quick hit of it up front, like that sweet, like a little bit of like a vanilla and that kind of brown sugar I was talking about, and then it goes to like that dark chocolate, mm-hmm. and then I feel like it finishes with like a coffee, like a little yeah. bit of a coffee note. It's really, the this beer is really sweet, like it's very desserty. Yeah. And, um, I went, you know, I, I'm looking for more body. I know. I agree with that. And actually, you know, on the finish, there's a, a little bit of a pure alcohol flavor to it. You know, like, just like pure, um, spirit finish. And that's what happens when it's a lighter body beer. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that just goes to what we were talking about before we popped this beer, which was we just want it to be Imperial. But knowing that it's not Imperial, I, I think they did a good job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, for sure. And I, I quite enjoy I it. I don't think this beer is going to go to waste. Mm-mm. Ooh. No, I don't think so either. This is going to be, this is a, a diverse lineup. Yeah, I'm still going to drink this. And... Honestly, as I continue to drink it, like, obviously you start to like it more as you continue to drink any beer because you get more used to it. But the fact that it's only 8.2%, oh, yeah. like, that, that's so nice because you, how else are you, are you going to get a flavor of, like, bourbon in a beer yeah. and not get, 
It's true. shit-faced, basically. Yeah. So that is one of the great perks to this. So for that reason, I think it's a good option for people who like barrel-aged stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good point. I can't expect too much, given what, you know, what they were working with here. It's good. I like it. Plus, um... I don't know. I'd be interested to know what the what a one year old and a two year old tasted mm-hmm. like because I I've had fresh and I've had three year old now. Uh, I think I, based off my memory, I think I like the three year old more than the fresh. So, which is probably because the bourbon, the the spirit and the bourbon characters probably settled a little bit. But okay, overall, what'd you think about all the beers? It's a solid lineup. Yeah. I was really excited going into this episode because I was thinking this might be like one of the most solid lineups as far as like brewery showcase goes. It's a really solid lineup. So, yeah. So, um, ranking. You want to rank these suckers? Yeah, this Velvet Merkin drinks super easy. You know, they all drink really easy actually i don't even know do you want me to take take the lead go ahead because i know how i want to do it already yeah i was thinking thinking it through um so i'm gonna put my number one as the bread of ice Mm. that was quite impressive to me that's a really nice beer i'm a big fan i want to get my hands on more wild stuff by them just how it was, it had a good amount of sourness, but then it just like quickly comes down and becomes soft, and it's got that nice weedy finish, and it's complex, and it's it's nice. Number two would be the Inferos Imperial oh. I, uh, Rye IPA. Um, that was really nice. Like I said, you know, the citrus coming together with the pininess on almost the same level, and then that kind of rye spice character just encapsulating it all and bringing them even closer. It was really nice. Then I got to give number three to the Pivo Hoppy Pills. That's a really nice Pills. I see why it's won gold medal at GABF, I believe, at least two times. Um, it's really nice. It's got all the clean characteristics of a, of a really nice Pills, and it's got a nice bitter kick at the end, And it, but it's not too much. It's nice. And then my last one would be the, the 2013, or 2014 Velvet Merkin, which is the oatmeal stout Asian bourbon barrels. Um, I still really like it, but of what's on the table, it's my least favorite. Not by a ton, though, because all these yeah. are, are pretty close to me. Okay. Or pretty close for me. So, I, I my favorite has to be the Pivo pills. There's no problem with that. Um, my second is going to be the Bread of Ice. Mm-hmm. Then the Enferos, and then the Velvet Merkin. Okay. That's cool. Yeah, so kinda it's kind of like um, as we tasted it. But uh, I, I like them all, though. That's the thing. Like, Oh, and if people haven't already had this conversation about Velvet Merkin, yes, a Merkin is a pubic wig. What? <laughs> oh, you didn't know that? No, I did know that. What made you want to bring that up right now? Well, because a lot of the times people, uh, I, I mean, years ago when Velvet Merkin was like a, a really hot commodity on the, on the market, um, I know people were talking about what is Merkin or, or people would bring it up and be like, do you know what a Merkin is? Do you know what a Merkin is? So yeah, it's a pubic wig. That's how I learned how, learned what it was based on this. Yeah. Which by the way, um, pubic wigs were used 
a long time ago, like in uh, in the days of like Jack the Ripper, uh, in in England, it was a big thing with um, with prostitutes because they would shave their vaginas and then put the pubic wig on to make it look like they had actual pubes there because people believe that the only reason that you would shave is because you had crabs. So if people would get crabs, they'd shave it off, and then they'd get that pubic wig on there to fool people. A merkin. Did pubic men wig. ever do that? I don't know. I mean, maybe? It was more... I had heard... Where did, I don't even know where I found out about this. I don't think I was... Maybe this was when I originally looked it up because of Velvet Merkin. But I remember reading that it was mainly a prost a female prostitute thing huh. of that time period. So what, like the 1700s, 1800s, something like that? I have no idea. I'm terrible at history. If people want to email us about pubic wigs... On that note... <laughs> go ahead and send an email to BrutalBattlePodcast at gmail.com. It was funny. I was going to bring that up, but then I thought, no, because sometimes my aunt and uncle listen to this, and I did not want to talk about pubic hair. Well, what's wrong with that? It's just body hair. I don't know. It's the same as talking about, like, chest hair. Well. Or as you get older, ear hair. (laughs) (laughs) Nose hair that gets unruly as you're older as well. Uh, Okay. You know, life stuff. This is real life. And that's what we deal with on, on this podcast. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no, but these were nice beers. Yes, uh, Firestone Walker doing a really good job. It's really nice to see, especially that after the acquisition by um, Duval Mortgott, that nothing really changed, at least nothing for, for the worst. Um, oh, well, that you know of. Who yeah. knows what's happening on the inside? Well, yeah. I mean, we don't work there, so we don't know the day-to-day. But the output is really good, potentially even better than it's been. Because we, we have the Luponic Distortions, we have the Wild Ales. Well, that was started before. But we can get it now. So, and then the Leo versus Ursus line. Awesome. So anyway, thank you everyone for listening to this. Thank you for... Oh, excuse me. I had a burp. It was a Merkin burp. <laughs> um, it's very sounds, bourbon-y. It's very bourbon-y. terrible. Actually, if I'm going to have burps, this is the burp to have. Ugh. It's very smooth and bourbony and nice. <laughs> but anyway, thank you for sitting on the couch and drinking beers with me and talking about pubic wigs uh, and listening to my burps. And yes. Okay. Much um, appreciated. <laughs> on that note, make sure to keep it brutal. Keep it brutal. This has been a Nerd Circle Podcast production.